Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so excited today to share with you a very special guest. This one is uh, is a great one today because somebody who we followed for a long time has had an, an amazing career. He held the world number one spot for over 56 weeks during 2011 and 12. He's had five PGA Tour wins, seven European Tour wins, eight top 10 in majors, five Ryder Cup appearances, including one as vice captain, and I think he won them all. He's been awarded an MBE in 2012, and this guy is Luke Donald. Now, in today's podcast, we made so many notes on this because there was so much we wanted to ask him to bring some value to you guys, and you're not going to be disappointed because Luke shares a lot about his life growing up, also what he likes to see in terms of his technique. He goes deep into sort of current things he's working on, his tendencies, and how he can really use that into into his game and certainly how he can transition that into his his competition. We talk about mindset, some of the things that has helped him really overcome some tough situations to get him across the line when he needed to. We also talk about his fitness and some of the advice that he got from some of the best in the world, legends like Jack Nicholas in this one as well. So I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. I strongly advise that you even take some notes on this one as well. Now, if you're new to the podcast, make sure you head over to iTunes and Spotify to subscribe. We have some great guests on the podcast. So without further ado, please welcome to the Me and My Golf podcast, Luke Donald. So welcome to the podcast, Luke Donald. Thank you so much for your time. Um, this is going to be really exciting for us, obviously, to speak to a truly great player like yourself. Everything good with yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me on, uh, first of all. Yeah, everything's good. Uh, you know, grinding away at the game as usual and... Uh... Yeah, enjoying it, enjoying it. Nice to be awesome. back uh, in competition after after a little break. Uh, after a little break. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And look, at now our podcast is very much aimed at a mixed ability, but we know that you're going to have tons of value for our listeners on this. And we definitely want to start with a little bit about how you got into golf. You know, what age did you start? And then talk about the fact, obviously, you were club champion at the age of 15. You know, how did yeah, you? Yeah, might be how, 14 actually. 40. Well, there we go. Brilliant. Yeah. Even better. I mean, so it'd be great to know about how you got into golf and actually what made it possible for you to win that club champion at the age of 14? The club championship. Well, well, yeah, I started when I was around seven years of age, um, you know, just started at a little pitch and putt course uh, not too far away from where I lived. Um, uh, just outside uh, London, kind of high Wickham area. Um, and um, it kind of really took to the game straight away I had two older brothers and my dad kind of introduced me to the game but what really got me motivated was probably uh, my dad buying a timeshare in Spain in uh, La Manga I'm sure you've heard of La Manga yeah, where they yeah. used to have European Q score and we were one of the first to buy into you know specific part in La Manga and we got three years of free sports so we had tennis and golf uh, you know it was all for free so we thought, well, let's take advantage of this. And uh, so I went out and between myself and my, my two brothers, we had about four clubs between us and uh, we just went out and I just sort of really took to it straight away. I just had this natural ability um, and just loved, loved playing, playing the game. And uh, I then joined a course, uh, Hazelmere Golf Club, it was called uh, just outside High Wycombe. Um, they, they were very gracious and allowed me to join at the age of nine when, when you had to be 12 to join. So they gave me a, a, a real good head start and having a place to practice and play. And then uh, went from there to Beaconsfield Golf Club, which was, you know, a beautiful Harry Colt design golf course, uh, a little bit longer, a little bit more challenging. You know, I thought it would help my game to 
to go to a place that uh, offered a little bit more of a, more of a challenge. And um, yeah, I, I must have joined there probably around when I was 12. And by 14, I think, yeah, I was close to, yeah, 14 and a half. I think I won the, the club championship. I believe I shot 75, 72 uh, and won. So, um, you know, what got me there? I think just true passion uh, for the game. I mean, I loved playing. I was deadly straight driver. You know, you, as a kid, you have no fear on the greens. You, you want to, you know, I'd hit putts with speed, you know, not worrying about the ones coming back, all that stuff, you know, as a kid, when you, when you have that no fear uh, growing up. And I think, uh, you know, um, just had a really natural ability for the game. Um, never had too many lessons growing up as a kid. But, um, yeah, just uh, loved competing and... Uh, was was able to figure out that I was pretty good at this game at, at a pretty young age. And you mentioned there about competing. Do you, do you think that environment was what got you to where you were? So did you compete a lot, whether it be a junior comp or a seniors comp? Yeah. So I played the, the, the club competitions, the Stablefords, um, you know, weekly medals and stuff like that. And I was able to play in those. And I think, you know, just, for any juniors listening, you know, to play as much competition is really, really important for your game, you know, just to challenge yourself under pressure, not just play your home course over and over again and get good at that. Go to different places uh, and see how your game stacks up against other players under competitive uh, juices. So, you know, that was something I did quite a lot. Uh, I got picked up by the county. So I started playing county golf, you know, playing for BBNO versus lots of different other counties, playing a lot of match play. Um, you know, and then I'd play, yeah, again, lots of club competitions. And uh, I think, you know, that really teaches you a lot about where your game is, what you need to improve, uh, how you deal with pressure. Um, but as a kid, you know, you don't really think about those things. You're just <laughs> out there enjoying it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I had, had a lot of success. So, uh, yeah, would, would it you, made, right? made me enjoy it even more. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Would you say, Luke, that the majority of your, your junior golf was less about the practice and more about the play? So were you more just wanting to play golf and figure out how to get the golf ball around the hole in, instead of thinking about technique and going down the swing route? Was it, was it heavily that side? Yeah, I certainly uh, didn't have many lessons growing up. Um, very natural kind of player. Just, as I said, I felt like I had a lot of good hand-eye. And, um, you know, I'd practice, practice a lot, but I'd put myself in a lot of situations. I remember, yeah. you know, um, having lots of competitions you know my brother who caddied for me on on tour for my first six seven years on tour was a good player too and we grew up together playing a lot and we'd play lot, lots of competition lots of putting contests you know lots of chipping contests lots of uh you know not thinking about technique so much and and beating balls but you know just really put myself under uh you know challenges and i think uh I think that that was beneficial, you know, looking back, I didn't, I didn't understand, you know, if that was going to be good or not, but that's just, just came natural to me. And, um, I think, uh, that's always, always kind of been a, a good way to, to kind of practice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot to take from that. I think a lot of the guys we've spoke to over the last few weeks, I think there's been a heavily sort of, um, I suppose preference and, and towards the play side of things, and I think in today's golf with technology and, and the amount of swing stuff that is around, obviously swings in is important, but it's so easy to sort of just get lost in the technique and go down the practice, go down the range and try and sort it out there when there's so much that you can just get out there and play and learn and not really 
and be focused more on the, I suppose, more on the result as opposed to how you're going to do it really. And I think a lot of people can get lost a little bit with the technique. Oh, for sure. I think, uh, you, you know, there's a time and place for sitting on the range and beating balls and, and working on something and getting those reps in and really trying to change, you know, something that you might want to improve in your golf swing. But uh, again, that doesn't really replicate what real golf is like on the golf yeah. course. So <laughs> you've got to add some of that kind of practice that uh, is very similar to what you're doing. You have one shot, one opportunity to hit something. And uh, again, uh, you know, it's very easy to start hitting a good shot after hitting the same club with 50 balls. You know, by the time you get to ball 20, 21, you're probably going to figure it out. But and you don't have 20 chances no. in the golf course. So, <laughs> you know, there's a time and place for all of that. But uh, you've got to, got to mix in some of that, uh, you know, more, uh, more more practice that simulates golf. Yeah, sure, for sure. And, and actually, just going on to your technique, I mean, obviously, you know, you, we, at the moment we're speaking to you now, you're in Chicago and you'll be able to get some work in on the game. I mean, what, what sort of things do you like to see in your golf swing and, and what's your sort of preferred ball flight? I'd say if, if I'm swinging well, I have a slight draw, you know, from right to left. I feel, uh, as I said, I've always been a, a bit of a handsy player. At times, I've, I've gotten a little bit steep coming down, which, you know, leads a little bit to some inconsistency, some, you know, not getting that face quite stable enough. So, you know, especially in the last, uh, you know, five, six years, I've struggled a little bit with, with trying to control my face. Uh, with the longer clubs, especially, I've always been great with with my with my wedges, with with my short game, my putting, that, that kind of stuff. But you know, having a little bit more consistency with with the longer clubs is, is something I'm always working on. So, you know, if I if I'm getting a little bit steep and the divots are getting a little bit uh, a little bit heavy, uh, and I'm starting to hit some of those weak cuts, you know, off the heel, that means I, I'm not swinging my best. And uh, so when I when I can kind of um, you know, stabilize my, my legs a little bit better, like able to shallow that club a little bit and stabilize that club face. And I start to get my club path a little bit more to the right and uh, hit, hit, hit some, hit some sort of solid draws that, uh, you know, a little bit more solid, really uh, go a little bit further. And I think that's when I see that ball flight, uh, I know that I'm swinging a bit better. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And when, and when, obviously when, when you are shaping it with that draw, how much do you like to see? Is it, is it a lot? Um, again, I, you know, even if I feel more comfortable or if I feel like I'm swinging better when I'm drawing the ball, I'll still hit cuts. You know, I like to, yeah. I like to kind of play the correct shot, uh, for what the hole des deserves. Um, occasionally I, you know, I might be struggling one way and I'll just keep it to, to one ball flight because, uh, you know, that's just what my swing's given me that day, but predictable. Yeah. You know, ultimately, um, you know, I like to, to move the ball both ways and, uh, but, but not by a lot, you know, the technology these days, the golf ball, it's, it's just not going to curve that much. You know, there's, there's only a few players out there that really curve the ball a lot, you know, the Bubba Watsons of the world and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's minimal amount of draw, minimal amount of uh, fade. Well, that, that's, that's the hope. <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> that's the plan. That's the plan. It's yeah. probably trying to quieten those hands down. Definitely. I know the feel of that as well. So just just going into to making a change then, Luke. So if you're making, I mean, this will be this will be sort of very relatable to the to the listener. If you're if you're going through a swing change and you're and you're in the middle of a sort of tournament or or competing, how do you how do you play in competition? How do you sort of integrate that change without really affecting too much of the performance during a tournament week? Are you somebody who has more 
feels than thoughts? How do you sort of transition that into your game? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And it's, uh, it's a tough one, I think, for any pro because um, when you're competing, obviously, the main, the main goal is to shoot a low score, right? It doesn't really matter how. Um, and sometimes you can get wrapped up in feeling like you need to be in certain positions to give yourself the best chance when really, you know, you're better off um, visualizing the shot you want to hit and just letting your your subconscious take over. Yeah. Um, when you're playing number of tournaments in a row, it's very hard to make changes. You're going to always slip back to kind of the way you swing naturally um, and, you know, trying to force change during competition is very, very difficult. Um, so, you know, I think <laughs> you really want to do your practice more for just maintenance when you're, when you're, uh, out, out competing on tour. I think, uh, if you're trying to really make big changes while you're competing, it's not going to lead to much success. So that's, that's the reason we have weeks off. And it's the reason why I think. I've struggled a little bit more in the last few years because of the wraparound season. You know, we've had less time, less off season to really have some time to really make some changes. You know, those times are important, not only to rest your body and mentally get away from the game a little bit, but have chunks of weeks of time to really consolidate what you're trying to change. You know, you, it's really, really hard to, to put, um, make big changes when you're when you're playing three weeks in a row a week yeah. off and another two weeks in a row etc cetera, etc cetera. so when when you're in season you're really just trying to maintain yeah and i think with um a lot of amateurs definitely relate to that and i think something that we always talk about is that we, and we see certainly amongst amateur golfers if they're hitting a fade or they might be hitting a bit of a slice to the right they'll get on the first tee and it might be in a medal and they're going to try and play a draw so so they're sort of trying to fight against the shot that they're naturally doing so if you're in a tournament week and let's say your bad shot is a bit of a heel cut or or whatever it might be would you just accept that and go well look I'm going to allow a little bit for that because this is where I am and just and just play with that and even put that into a bit of a strategy in terms of your your planning yeah yeah for sure if if I know uh, and I feel like my swing isn't quite where I want it to be you know, my, my go-to shot is really a, fight, a fade. You know, yeah. as I said, I like I like to see the right-to-left shot, and I feel like when I'm swinging my best, that's the, the way it is. But, you know, if, if I'm not swinging that well, then the safer shot is is the fade. If I start trying to hit draws, then I start manipulating the club face two more, uh, and I'll probably either leave one out way out to the right or or hit one, you know, with a club face. I've just overturned the club face. Club face it starts off left and starts going left, you know, and that's a killer. And yeah. uh, you, you have one, one or two of those around in a, in a tour event and suddenly you're struggling to make the cut. The guys are so good these days. The fields are so deep that, you know, one little mistake and you're, you're really fighting. You know, I mean, we've just, I've just played four weeks in a row and the cuts have been four under, four under, five under, two under around some, you know, pretty good golf courses. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you make a double throw and a double bogey somewhere, uh, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. And no. how do you just quickly on that fade? How do you go about that? What do you do? <laughs> well, you don't have any uh, um, other choice but to carry on. <laughs> yeah, and yeah just just know, swing it and goes there. Try and put that behind you and and try and give yourself opportunities uh, to make birdies you know, keep, as you go along. But uh, yeah, it's it, it definitely gets in your mind a little bit that uh, you have to be kind of mistake free these days to to have any chance of 
you know, even playing the weekend uh, in, yeah. in a way because the fields are, are, are very, very strong. So it'd be great to talk about your coach because you've been with your coach, Pat Goss, for a, a long time since college days. Um, how important is it for you to have a coach and, and what advice would you have to the listeners about actually finding the right coach? Because how, how long have you been with Pat now? It's been, been a good few years, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a little bit by chance. I, I obviously knew I wanted to come to the US, uh, play college golf. You know, in the UK, you either go to university or you you don't, and you you concentrate on your sport. But you know, the US system um, really gives you the opportunity to do both. So it was, you know, a little bit by luck that I ended up at Northwestern in Chicago. Um, I was recruited by Stanford University at the time. Tiger Woods was was there. Um, and ended up not getting into that school. And the coach there was a former Northwestern head coach. So, you know, he felt bad that I didn't get into Stanford and told me I should go have a visit to, to Northwestern. I never heard of Northwestern <laughs> coming from England. Um, not many people would would nowadays, unless you you were really uh, you know into the, the college system over here. But um, so I went over, uh, just was blown away by um, not only. Pat Goss, that's where I met him, 1997. Um, I went over, uh, blown away by just, you know, his personality, his ease, being really easy around him, but also the golf courses, the, um, you know, all the ranges that they showed me and the practice facilities and the, just the, uh, yeah, the facilities that we had. So I uh, came over and took a little bit of a risk and joined up in, in 97. And, you know, that, before that, I'd, I had a little bit of coaching at the England level. Uh, Keith Williams had yeah. done some coaching. Um, you know, a few other guys had helped me a little bit along the way, but I hadn't had much coaching, to be honest. And um, it was nice to, I got very fortunate in the US. You know, some golf coaches, they're not really golf coaches, they're, they're kind of managers. They, you know, recruit players and they take them to tournaments, but they don't really know that much about golf. But fortunately, you know, I stumbled across Northwestern and Pat, and uh, he he'd been teaching for a long time. Um, kind of took me under his wing, and uh, you know, I really enjoyed the process. The four years that I spent with him, um, getting better, um, just not through just physically, but mentally. Um, you know, and the whole college system here was uh, was a, was really beneficial for me. I think I, I really learned how to win tournaments. Uh, compete, how uh, to practice a little bit better, um, incorporated some more fitness. You know, we were we were getting up at six a.m. to do workouts uh, for, for for an hour before we started class, and then we'd practice in the afternoon. So it was full on, but uh, four years experience that uh, I really really enjoyed and was really really beneficial. Brilliant. I think that's one thing me and you would have liked to have done, Andy, at some point, wouldn't it? It would have been really cool to experience yeah, that. We for weren't sure. quite good enough, though, Pierce, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and what would you say that the people should look for in terms of a coach? What would you say that, you know, obviously you there's certain things in your coach, Pat, that you like and that, that really helps you. What 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 do what should amateurs look for when it comes to choosing and finding the right coach? I think you'll instinctively know that when you start working on something your coach tells you and you see an improvement that you think, yeah, that that's really good for me. You know, I'd always be wary of uh, teachers kind of teaching a method, you know, the same thing to the same people, to different people, because everyone swings it differently. Everyone body works differently. You're always going to have certain compensations because of your body and how it works. So 
I'd be a little bit wary maybe to, to, to advise to amateurs, you know, to, to again, some guys that teach the same things to, to, to everyone. You know, I think you're going to have a little bit more of an overview of you know, how someone works and how someone swings and how their body is uh, and, and go kind of down that route. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit risky, isn't it? If you if you go down the same route as everybody else, for sure. Yeah. And just obviously, just let's go into practice a little bit now because I think practice is a, it's definitely a big topic of discussion. Um, we generally see amateurs do it pretty poorly. I'm sure you've seen some pretty bad examples of that. Actually, just actually on that, what 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 do you see amateurs do really bad when they are practicing? What do they do really badly? Well, I think many don't really have any kind of plan you know when they get to the range they uh, maybe have a limited number of time you know i'd say the number one rule when you get to the range is actually line up and aim at something you know <laughs> i'd say 90 percent of people <laughs> i watch just throw their bucket of balls down and they you know maybe have some something they're they're really thinking about in their swing and concentrating on that and just wailing away uh using the same club with no real regard of where they're hitting it you know just some kind of general direction i think you know you go down a, a, a tour event um and on the range and you know 90 percent of us have some kind of alignment stick or an umbrella or a club down just you know just with giving us uh a sense of where we're, we're aiming you know i think you know aim grip posture all those basic fundamentals those are the things that the pros actually are constantly working on day in day out you know it's not so much specific things in their swing but they're concentrating on the very basics and just hammering those out over and over again because because those really do do lead to a lot more consistency yeah they sound very boring to a golfer though, yeah, don't they? To an amateur, they're like, i've got to shallow the club i've got to get the club face i've got to flex my lead wrist you know guess what <laughs> check your grip first eh? <laughs> Be yeah. beneficial for you and and look obviously you know, getting into the practice a little bit more now, how has yours changed over the years through experience and maybe even for, from working with someone like Dave Alder as well? You know, how has your practice changed over the years, first of all, and how can an amateur golfer get the best out of their practice? Other than, <laughs> other than checking well, the setup. <laughs> as I said, I think, you know, it'd be beneficial even if a, a, an amateur had an hour just to kind of maybe write down something, you know, mm -hmm. what they wanted to accomplish in that hour, you know, have some kind of focus, some kind of goal. Um, you know, some days it might be just, you know, a hundred balls and I want to work on my alignment, you know, and that's it, you know, yeah. may maybe um, one day you, you want to work on a slide or a fade and, and, and that's all you're concentrating on. But I think you just have to have some kind of goal uh, before you go, before you go out to the range, so 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 it so it matters. Um, you know, in terms of my practice, I had a had a wrist surgery in 2008. Um, my left wrist uh, playing the U.S. Open, uh, four holes to play. I hit a drive on the 15th at Torrey Pines, and something went snap. Uh, as I said, I've always been a little bit of a handsy player, and over time, I think it just just broke down and. Uh, um, you know, I think I was away from the game for about six months, but it gave me a lot of time to reflect on, you know, what what kind of got me to be successful um, and how I needed to practice a little bit more uh, efficiently and a little bit more uh, intelligently. You know, I, I was never someone that overpowered golf courses, um, but I was really good from, you know, my, with my wedges, with my putting. So I kind of, use that six months to really 
build up my game from the ground, from the hole backwards. Um, you know, I worked because I, you know, physically couldn't do anything for a few months where I could, I could putt for a couple, a month, but I, I, then I could hit some chips and then I could slowly go into to some more longer irons, et cetera, et cetera. But I really worked hard on, on the short game, on my putting, uh, on my, um, short game on my wedges and then ultimately the range work and, and so my practice from then onwards kind of changed I would kind of split up my practice in four parts putting short game wedges and range work and I'd spend an equal amount of time on each so so in essence I'm spending three quarters of my time from 120 yards and in you know and that's kind of what led me to get into number one in the world. You know, I concentrated on what I was really good at. I, I didn't focus so much on my negatives. I obviously knew I wanted to improve those, but I was really um, diligent about making sure that what I was really good at, I was going to be the best at. And um, that really got me, uh, you know, got me to number one for 56 weeks uh, in the year. I mean, uh, out of the year. So um, that was, again, I think... A turning point, you know, I had a, had a, a wrist injury. You know, a lot of people would, you know, be devastated and be very down about that. But I turned it into a positive. I really uh, used that time to kind of think about how I practiced, what I could, how I could work on my strengths and uh, and be a lot better at them. So you be, you're thankful for that wrist in, injury now, then, aren't you? Really, when you look back at that. Yeah, we spoke to yeah, Burn. My best best years came after that. We, we spoke to Bernd Wiesberger a few weeks ago and he had a, a, obviously a wrist injury, well, maybe 18 months ago and he had the mm -hmm. best year of his life last year, obviously on European tour and he was thankful for that. It said it gave him time to reflect and, and understand what golf meant to him as well. So he said he just came out and was happier on the course, which was a, which was a good thing as well. Yeah, it gives you, gives you some perspective, some appreciation um, yeah. for missing the game. But uh, sometimes that, that mental and physical break is really important. That's why, uh, as, as much as it's nice to have so many playing opportunities on the US tour, on the, on the European tour, like having an off-season can be beneficial. But it, it's really hard to kind of carve that out these days because if you don't play a, you know, in the full season here in the US tour, suddenly... You get to January or February, and some guys have played 10, 11, 12 tournaments, yeah. and you're you're on one. And yeah. you're suddenly <laughs> behind behind the eight <laughs> ball, as they say. But uh, yeah, that's that's a different discussion. <laughs> Absolutely, it's, it's interesting. It is interesting, though, isn't it? Obviously, you use that um, the layoff to obviously do what you've done. And if we think about something else, which is very topical. You know, with the lockdown we've just had, you know, Bryson DeChambeau was obviously gone. He's probably gone. Sure. I'm really bored. What am I going to do for the next three and a half months? Pretty much. But he's he's literally obviously he's changed a lot of things and a lot of people's perceptions. What are your thoughts on what he's doing? I mean, he's you know he's not 20 mile per hour onto his club head speed, which we know is not easy to do. What are your thoughts on this? Well, first of all, I I, I really admire what he's doing. I think um, you know anyone that can come and think of think outside the box um, and do things their own way and create success is, is, you know, I'll take my hat off to them all, all day long. Um, you know, what he's been able to do is, uh, you know, put on bulk, put on mass, um, increase club head speed, you know, exponentially um, while maintaining, you know, those fine motor skills. I mean, he was, when he won at rocket mortgage last week, he, he, um, it was number one in putting, you know, and I think combining those two, like that doesn't happen very often. Like, you've seen people change their bodies in the past and 
And sometimes it, it affects you negatively. And, you know, I think a lot of people were very wary when Bryson started posting videos with him bulking up and getting big and stuff. And But, you know, um, he's been able to combine the two. And I think that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's going to yeah, be it's interesting almost like, to see where yeah. it goes. It is. It is. It's, it's almost uh, as if yeah, that... I mean, the only thing, the only thing that would really you know slightly worry me is you know he, he said this himself to keep those speeds up he's having to do a lot of reps uh, yeah. every day uh, he's swinging as hard as he can and you know, that's that's a huge amount of pressure a torque on the body you know and, and, and whether that can hold up over a number of years you know maybe maybe he just thinks i'm just going to do this for five years and then i'm going to go off into the sunset but i'm going to make <laughs> yeah. the most most of it for that but yeah. uh, you know that would be my only concern is that uh you know even even at my swing speeds 165 miles an hour you know i'm, I'm you know you're putting pressure on the body so um doing that consistently with a lot of reps you know whether that uh whether that uh, um, whether his body breaks down or not, we'll have to see. Yeah. yeah, it is going to be interesting. So we'd love to talk about mindset, Luke, as well. And interestingly enough, we we coach a um, a young lad on the European tour called Aaron Rye, and we we said that we were going to chat to you today, and we said, what question would you ask Luke if you could have a bit of time with him? And he he said he'd like to know when you're in contention. What allows you to perform your best? Do you have any mental techniques? Do you just sort of let the practice and the prep take over and and sort of just come to fruition? Or, or you know, where do you get your confidence from? And, and I actually look back at the 2011 BMW when you had a playoff with Lee Westwood and you you got that 18th yeah, hole over the water. it's been a while. It's been a while since I've been in contention. So i got to rack up my brain. But, uh, you know... Um, yeah, my, my best golf, obviously, was 2010, 11, 12. You know, in those three years, uh, I was really at the top of the game. I mean, you know, number one in the world and winning a bunch uh, in 2011. You know, obviously won that playoff against Lee and got to number one. He was number one at the time. And, yeah. you know, that was probably the one of the greatest moments in, in my golfing life, for sure. Um, you know, who, who doesn't want to get to, to number one in the world? Um I, I look back at that time, and you mentioned Dave Allred. He was obviously a big part of that. Um, I worked with him for a couple of years, and Dave's a fascinating character. He's um, you know, very passionate and really believes in like no limits, and um, you know, really pushing you to a point where physically you you're able to do so well that it leads on to some some strong. Uh, mental skills you know he thinks the physical has to come first before the mental but it's all about um you know, setting up practices where you're constantly uh finding those positives and i think that was a big help for me uh, back then you know um, even if i had a poor round a shot 75 or something i would write down in a little diary i'd write down three things that i did well you know so i'm just kind of constantly putting those negative things away and not worrying about those and bringing up all the things that I did well. And, uh, you know, you start looking at that and writing them down. And over a few months, you actually realize that you're actually doing a lot of good things. <laughs> pretty good. You know, this, this, this game will beat you up. It's a game yeah. of failure. I mean, you fail way more times than you, you succeed. But, you know, 
grinding out those positive um, things each and every day, I think is, is super important for your mental side. Do you know what? And it's completely the opposite to what most golfers do. It's, I think we've spoke about this on numerous of the podcasts about the ability to, to remember the positives and stack those and, and sort of forget about the negatives. Mm-hmm. But a lot of amateurs, we talk about it all the time, they finish their game and, you know, we'll do it still and come in and say, I've shot whatever it is and I three-putted the last, I hit one out of bounds or I hit one in the water. It's so tempting to, to relive yeah, the bad moments. It could have been that. Yeah, exactly. It's, so I think there's great and lessons in that. We all do it. Um, we, we all do it. It's a uh, very natural human instinct to, to remember the bad stuff and, and uh, stay away from the good. And uh, I think if you can reinforce that good as much as possible, I think that's, that's going to help mentally. Brilliant. Yeah, I think there's sure. some good stuff there. Okay, Pierce, should we move on to some fitness, Pierce? I know uh, there's something that Luke is yeah, no problem very at all. Yeah, happy with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously, you mentioned it earlier that it's a, it's it's obviously um it's a big part in the professional game now, and obviously we're seeing what Bryson's doing now and, and what he's doing. I think I think when Tiger came onto the scene, but he can even go back to Gary Player, for instance. But as far as a couple of questions, really, as far as amateur golfers are concerned, how important do you think it is for them? Well, it, it it depends how how much you're practicing and playing. Um, you know, I think just for general well-being, you know, moving a lot, um, being healthy, getting to the gym, you know, is beneficial in, in so many different ways. You know, even with what we're going through right now, you know, the healthier you can be, the better your immune system, the the better you're going to fight anything that comes uh, in contact with you. So that's just a, a general rule of life. Um, but when it comes to golf, yeah, again, you're always going to have things in your body that uh, are going to be restrictions. And, and if you can understand that and work on certain things that can help you um, get the club into a little bit better position, then I think uh, it, it can be beneficial for anyone. But uh, no, if you're, if you're if you're playing one time a week just for fun, then, you know, potentially, potentially you know it might not be worth your time other than the fact of going to a gym just to be healthy and uh, you know to keep moving and stuff but if you're if you're a keen amateur and you want to improve and um then yeah certainly i think fitness does play a play a part it's it's um you know only it helps not only with injury prevention um you know you can obviously accumulate some some muscle and mass um which which should uh, should increase your speed. So, you know, this is this is why the pros work out um, a, a lot because of those three things. Yeah, absolutely. And what what does what does your week look like now from a fitness point of view? I mean, are you still training as hard yeah, now as I'm, you were? In I'm still very active. Uh, it's very different um, now to maybe ten years ago, just because of where my body is. Um, I've obviously gone through some injuries um, and uh, had a you know. A reasonably um, not serious, but I had had some back issues. You know, twenty end of 2017, 2018, and obviously took a little bit of time away from from the game to to deal with that. Had some L four five herniated disc in my back. Um, yeah, a lot of people have a lot of issues on this fight. If you were to take an MRI of most people, there'd be something there. It's just whether it shows up or not. And obviously, through a lot of golf. Um, mine did show up and um, had to take a little bit of time to figure out how, how to deal with it. I didn't want to keep putting pressure on it uh, where I'd keep playing and I was you know, getting a little bit to that uncomfortable stage. I couldn't even 
struggling to tee the ball up, get the ball out of the hole because it was hurting to bend forward to, to do that. So um, took some time to, to really work on that. And that's kind of been my focus uh, the last, uh, you know, year and a half, two years, you know, really working on keeping that stability, giving myself the opportunity to actually go out and compete. Uh, without uh, being injured. So I, I'm incorporating some stuff that's helping me in my golf swing. But again, I've kind of gotten a little bit away from the, the kind of Olympic heavy lifting or anything that's going to really put too much pressure on my back. So I'm already doing that with lots of reps uh, on the range. So it's a little bit different, um, but I'm still doing it constantly. I'm, I'm in the gym four or five times a week. Um, you know, I'm, I'm moving. I'm trying to keep my mobility, keep my stability um but again it's a little bit uh probably a little bit different to it was 10 years ago yeah, would you sure. would you say Luke, when, oh sorry would you say Luke, would you say that yours is more of a, a longevity thing now in terms of you just want to stay healthy and playing the game for a long time would you say that would be a, a big goal of your fitness yeah i think so you know uh, it, it would probably be not wise for me to take you know the bryson approach you know yeah. and, and try and put on a lot of mass and lift heavy and um you know with something that's already a little bit compromised in my back you know i've got to really work up uh, on uh, you know keeping that core really really strong um you keeping my mobility keeping my stability all that kind of stuff so uh, you know i can still keep competing and, and and playing i just played four weeks in a row which I haven't done in a long time, so uh, you know all good signs that what I'm doing is, is the right stuff. I think one sure. of the one of the uh, the important things that amateurs I think should all know in terms of is just how they move. Because as you mentioned earlier, Luke, we're all different. You know, everyone's going to move in different ways and have certain limitations. Uh, do you have any, or what are the limitations that you have, and what do you do you have to make any compensations for that in your golf swing to work around? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, obviously, you know, have some 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 issues in the back and uh, a little bit in my right hip. I have uh, a few issues, so again, I'm staying away from uh, a lot of stuff in the gym where I'm putting pressure on that for those areas. But uh, yeah, again, I'm always constantly working on trying to improve those areas without you know putting them under too much tension. So. Um, you know, th those kind of things, you know, even some of my flexibility in my, uh, you know, my ankles, you know, that's something I'm, I'm, I'm working on quite a lot right now, just to give me the opportunity to, to use the ground a little bit better, because, you know, without that flexibility, you know, my, my right, my right leg comes off the ground too quickly, I get uh, the shaft steepens a little bit. And, uh, you know, I start getting my hips towards the ball too much. And uh, again, that leads to some more inconsistency. So, you know, it's just little things like that. You know, if you can work on my uh, mobility in, in my ankles, it's just going to give me a little bit better opportunities to do what my coach wants me to do. And, uh, you know, those you, like like anything in golf, you're always trying to find those little incremental improvements. Uh, you can never do big jumps, but, uh, you know, being mindful of the little things uh, each and every day, I think, uh, eventually lead to, to something good. Yeah, it's really important as well. You mentioned, obviously, with Pat, that he's aware of these, as your coach, that he's aware of these limitations as well. So he's not asking you to do things that you can't physically do. And I think a lot of golfers, they'll yeah, try and yeah. maybe shallow yeah, the club or turn their hips team around. You know, I have a good team around me, my, between my coach and, uh, you know, my trainer. Uh, I work with a guy called Ben Shear and, you know, some other some other people in the fitness industry too that uh, you know we're able to uh, you know we do a lot of 3D every year and 
you know, just all that kind of stuff um, we're very diligent about and stuff that, you know, not many people would probably realize you're doing, but, it, but it's all behind the scenes. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's a process and uh, it, it, it takes a little bit of time and, uh, and a lot of work. Brilliant. Brilliant. I'll tell you what I'd like to do. And this is something we didn't have in our notes actually before this, but we've, we, we have got a question later, but it may be worth going a little bit deeper into it. Your short game. I think you're pretty much renowned as one of the best short game players that's been on the tour for the last 15, 20 years. What, what, what makes you so good? Do you believe from a, is it a tech from a technical point and maybe from a mental point? Well, no, I, I think technical has to come first. Um, you know, everyone, someone, somebody uh, often will talk. Well, you just you're just born with good feel, aren't you? And I was like, well, not really. It's it's, yeah. a, it's a lot of a nothing lot of to do with hard work, work and, un- <laughs> and understanding the technique to be able to control trajectory, control strike. You know, if if, if I can't do that, it doesn't matter how much feel I have. I'm just not going to be very good at short game. So, you know, I give props obviously to pat goss i think he's um, been instrumental in his teaching of my short game um you know uh the f- just understanding good correct fundamentals i've always been someone that's tried to be very neutral you know in my technique uh in terms of my pitching in terms of my putting you know my putting i'm i'm trying to keep the loft and lie consistent throughout um you know not manipulate the club too much um, and the same, same with uh, you know, with my pitching. I'm, I'm trying to use the bounce effectively. Again, I'm not really uh, over hinging. I'm not really, you know, again changing changing things too much. I'm really trying to make it as simple as possible. And I think that simplicity uh, leads to some good results. Yeah. When when you're playing a chip or a pitch, because we ask this a lot of our of our golfers that we work with. Do you, what do you focus on? This is a bit of a daft one, but do you focus on hitting the ball or the ground, or what? What would be your? No, I'm not sure I ever, ever even <laughs> think about that. <laughs> Probably yeah, best you so, don't so, then so now. Like what, what do you What do you look at, at the golf ball when you're when you're putting? And I was like, yeah, most. If you ask most good putters, they'd say I, I have no, I have no idea. You know, it's really fuzzy. You know, it's the same with um, it's the same with the uh, the line. You know, just I I. I don't really look at a spot right in front of me with putting. I look at the hole and how much left or right it is, but it's pretty fuzzy. I mean, it's, it's not so exact um, that I'm grinding over it. It's, it's a a lot of feel and intuition and, um, you know, kind of, yeah, it's a little bit of a guess. And, you know, and I think (laughs) it's, it's the same when you ask me, you know, do I look at hitting the ball or, or the ground? And I, you know, I, I couldn't tell you. That's cool. Uh, That's I really cool. couldn't. Um, I'm really focusing more on the shot, um, thinking about the trajectory, thinking about the strike. Um, I guess the strike is what you're asking me. But um, <laughs> you know, I think if you if you do use that bounce effectively, you can you can have some margin of error, obviously. Um, and um, yeah, again, some of those things, yeah, aren't. aren't aren't that uh, solid in, in your mind they're, they're pretty fuzzy yeah that's i think good. i mean it's interesting that and, and say any any sort of amateur listening to this who's thinking about their short game and any maybe woes that they have with their short game they're very much going into the technique and what they should be doing whereas you know you just said it there you know just you're focusing on your ability to hit a good strike but also to picture that flight yeah i mean my i i might um focus a little bit on technique when i'm 
doing my practice swing, mm-hmm. um, you know, then then my my focus really goes towards the hole and getting my energy towards the hole and what I'm trying to do, where I'm trying to pitch it, you know, seeing the shot, how, how it's going to spin. Um, and again, technique then should go kind of out the window. Hopefully you've instilled it a little bit. Uh, with that practice swing and then it just kind of kind of goes subconsciously but yeah again that's that's why we practice so we can get to that kind of stage where we don't have to think about it so much yeah and i think anybody wanting to improve their short game and pitching should just really just go and look at your technique and watch you hit some pitch shots because it's so it's so easy to watch luke with how how neutral it is as well it comes across obviously that way the way you use the club interacting with the ground there's no sort of huge divots it's very sort of um it's very shallow in terms of the 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 contact which is i think why you're obviously so good in the interaction and how consistent that strike is really well thank you um yeah i've worked hard at it (laughs) exactly uh, (laughs) nice that it uh yeah it's it's always nice to have i mean yeah it's it's great great for momentum in golf you know you're not always going to hit perfect shots but uh you know again getting the ball up and down holding a putt holding those you know 10 footers or less you know consistently then you really really do help mentally and keep that consistency and momentum going Absolutely. And, I, you know, Andy, we got some good momentum here. I think we should go on this. Bunkers, what, what are your thoughts on bunkers? Because obviously you're a fantastic bunker player as well. Is that a similar thing, using the bounce? Is that still Oh, yeah. Mindset? I mean, using the bounce is number one and understanding how that club works. You know, you have that big bit of bounce. You know, some people uh, love to get that leading edge in in the sand too much and it just digs and, you know, can't get that great strike. So. You know, understanding how to uh, give yourself the best chance of using the bounce through through good setup. You know, most people get the ball way too far back in their stance. They lean the shaft forward. Um, they're too inside on the way back. You know, all these things are going to make bunker play extremely difficult. If you if you do those, the only way to get the ball up in the air is to try and lift it out of the sand and lean back and. Yeah, that's going to either bring your your center of gravity way back, and you're going to hit it even further behind the ball, or you're just going to bounce into the sand, and the, the club's going to bounce and hit the middle of the ball, and you're going to thin it into the face. So, a lot of listeners obviously listening to that. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> probably relate. me. Um, a few people shuddering so, at yeah, home right now. Getting the ball forward, you know, angling that shaft, you know, vertical if not backwards a little bit, uh, exposing that bounce, and it's very daunting to see that club face open. I mean, people think they're going to blade it, but you know, you're hitting under the ball, you're using the sand to lift the ball out, um, and making sure that uh, the club face has some loft throughout, and that you're going forward, you're never, never leaning back and trying to help the ball out. I think. Uh, if you do that, you can do it with a little bit of speed, and that's when you mm. obviously start to create a little bit of spin. That is pretty much the perfect bunker lesson, I think. There. <laughs> <laughs> so, just um, obviously, you've you've been you played in a time which has had Tiger Woods, obviously, who's been you know one of the most influential players in the game, and probably the either the most influential or the second most influential, depending on how you look at it, is Jack Nicholas. And you had the privilege of playing with him in his last, obviously, Open Championship at St. Andrews and yeah. with the Bears Club. And well, I think we're always interested, and in, we've never actually met Jack, and we hopefully will be able to do that one day. But how much has he helped you with your game at all? I mean, how much influence have you had with him? I mean, do you have a good relationship? Yeah, we have a good relationship. I I, uh, I see him um, now and again around the Bears Club, and certainly uh, sought some some advice from him when I was number one in the world and how to deal with that and how how to try and 
you know, take my game to another level and obviously, you know, win majors. It, it didn't happen or hasn't happened yet. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I always find that when I talk to the greats, um, it it's very interesting, their philosophy, you know, um, they're, they're quite different to, to the average Joe. I mean, how they go about things. You know, Jack would tell me that he didn't ever practice his short game when he was competing because he knew he was good enough to chip it to 10 feet and he knew he was good enough to make a 10-footer most of the time. So he's like, I don't, I don't need to practice. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if I didn't practice, I would be awful at short game, you know. So I think the greats, as, as great as they are, like sometimes it's hard for them to give advice because it just became so natural and so easy for them that, you know, they never had to think about it so much. You know, they were just having that gift of uh, being able to compete and get it done. Um, obviously, Jack worked a short game. I'm sure that wasn't totally true, but, you know, they come, come at it from a different place. So it, it's hard to glean too much from that piece of advice. <laughs> that, um, Stop practicing, you know, Luke. Stop practicing yeah, that short uh, game. That's what you need to do. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've been lucky enough to, to spend some time with Michael Jordan, too. He, he plays at the Bears Club and down in Florida. And, um, you know, I think the best piece of advice I got from him was, you know, have have goals but have lofty goals like really lofty goals but then break them into little little bits that are much more manageable you know he he said you know one year he wanted to make sure he won the scoring title so he wanted to have the most points you know per game average and that was going to be about 34 points a game or something which you know seemed quite a big number at the time but he's like well if i broke it down to eight points a quarter you know, nine points a quarter. That didn't seem too too difficult in my mind. So, again, you can you can relate that to anything in life, and and obviously anything in golf. And I think, you know, putting little goals together is is extremely important. Maybe it's you know you go out and you want to hit five fairways or eight greens or ten greens or whatever it might be, and think, you know, if I hit two greens in regulation every six holes like maybe i can do that you know that's just from an from an amateur i would obviously want my numbers a little bit higher but mm-hmm. um you know i think breaking your goals into much more manageable goals that uh, seem more realistic and more achievable is is uh, a good piece of advice that i certainly got from from mj yeah. how's his golf on the golf course is he is he just as competitive Oh, he's hugely competitive. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're playing him for a dollar or a thousand dollars. I mean, he he just wants to win. I mean, yeah. the, the the monetary value doesn't matter to him. He he loves competing, and I think that's why he loves golf because obviously lots of different skill levels. It's not be pointless me playing one on one against him at basketball. I mean, you know, I've got no <laughs> chance. But with the handicap system in golf, uh, he has a great chance and. Uh, yeah, his game is is good. I mean, it's not always the prettiest, but he knows how to score. He knows how to get the ball. You suddenly you think you've got him on a hole, and he'll get it up and down from fifty yards out of a, a, a crappy lie. And you're like, how do you do that? Like that's just—he just has that competitive will, you know. That uh, again, something you can't really teach. I loved his quote in the in the in the, the documentary, The Last Dance, where one of his teammates said, um, "There's no I in team," and he said, "No, but there's a me." <laughs> so that just shows his sort of mentality and uh, fan- fantastic documentary to watch just shows they're competitive and what a great athlete was. he was really 
Right, I think we should move. Mm-hmm. To, we've got a few quick fire questions for you, Luke, if that's okay. Sometimes these aren't quick, but we'll do our best to get through them quick. <laughs> um, best advice you've ever received? Uh, concentrate on your strengths. You know, obviously focus on the weaknesses, but really, uh, really concentrate on your strengths and make sure they're as good as they can be. Perfect. What What would you change about golf? Hmm. Um. Well, two biggest problems in golf is obviously it's expensive and it takes a lot of time. Uh, I'd love to to continue to quicken up play, continue <laughs> to quicken up game. Uh, I would probably get rid of greens books and I would probably get rid of the arm lock in putting. Greens books and arm lock. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So I've not, not had that answer before, that's good. No, we haven't had that one. Let's have a look. Um, okay, so what do you think, where do you think golf is going? So with what's going on now, with what Bryson's doing, where do you see golf in 10 years' time? To What does 2030 look like? And what does the world number one look like then? <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a, there's, we've been talking about this for a long time. You know, the ball going too far, technology. Um, you know, we're outgrowing golf courses. It's becoming too expensive to build huge golf courses and water them. And it's, it's, uh, it's unsustainable. So, you know... Keep hearing this, but uh, you know I, I still haven't really seen any efforts from the USGA or the RNA to really roll back the ball. But potentially they might do it. But I, I, I don't know. I see, I see uh, probably the pro game um, bifurcating with the amateur game. To be honest with you, I mean I don't see why amateurs should be. Uh, should be penalized for, for what the pros are doing. Um, so uh, that, that would be what I think in 10 years. And I, and I think, yeah, unfortunately, uh, I'd say this because I'm not the longest hitter <laughs> that uh, the long game is going to continue to, uh, to, to rule uh, the, the world of golf. Yeah, it's looking that way, isn't it? It's looking that way. Give us um, three truths that you know to be true about golf. You can't get better without practice, <laughs> putting time in. Uh, Unless you're Jack Nicholas. Talent, <laughs> talent can only take you so far. Um, truths, truths in golf. Um, golf is hard. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. We'll all agree with that one. Um, but it's the best game there is because yeah. you hit those some of those good shots and it brings you back. So that's three good truths. That's three good truths. And okay, final one then. Look, you've had some incredible, you've had an incredible career, you, you know, multiple wins on the PGA Tour, European Tour, Ryder Cup, amazing, world number one, incredible. What's the proudest moment in your career? Proudest would, would have been, you know, getting to number one in the world when I, when I won at Wentworth. Uh, so you got to do it it's just not too far away from where I grew up. So I had lots of friends and family there. It was a, it was a hell of a night of celebrations. Um, you know, I, I never really grew up as a kid thinking that that was my goal to be number one in the world. I always, you know, imagined myself as Seve trying to get up and down to win the Masters or win the Open Championship or something like that, putting myself in terrible lies. Um, and, and, you know, Seve was obviously an idol of mine growing up. But 
you know, when I had that opportunity, when I won the the match play in Accenture to Tucson and, and jumped from number nine in the world to number three, suddenly it became my focus. Like, how cool would it be to say you're number one in the world? And uh, once I did that at Wentworth, that was uh, that was the cherry uh, on the top. Yeah, pretty, pretty special. Cool. Moment. For a long time as well. I mean, you got to think, obviously, in the Tiger era, to to be world number one at that, you know, for that long was pretty cool. Yeah, I went back and forward with Rory a few times, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a good run. Absolutely, absolutely. I think I think look, you've you've been amazing, Luke. Thank you so much for your time. But I think also congratulations on the work that you're doing on your social media. I mean, it's it's really cool seeing <laughs> some. I think you and Patrick Harrington got something going on here, you know, on uh, on who's going to get the most followers or something. I'm not sure, but it's great stuff. Well, I think your your jobs are probably safe, guys. But uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's 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 been fun. I haven't done it as much, obviously, on tour. It's, it's pretty tough. I thought about going down the range and asking some guys for some videos, but you know, they're, they're obviously competing and working and trying to make a living out. So I'm not trying to bother them too much, but uh, yeah, when I, when I first started doing it, I was a little bit skeptical how it would come across. I'd, I've done a, I had done a couple of videos on Instagram with some tips and stuff that I'd learned and they always came across well received. And uh, I was really blown away by, um, just the positive feedback I got, you know, social media is a tricky place <laughs> at times. Um, there's a, there's a lot of keyboard warriors out there as, as we all know, but, uh, I really enjoyed, um, you know, hearing all the positive comments from the people, you know, 99% of them were, were great. And, uh, you know, whether, whether people you thought the, the advice was good or not. And, I, and I've gotten so many, you know, oh, my, my chipping's got so much better and my putting, and this has really helped me. And, you know, just getting that feedback that, giving something else to the people um, in, a, in a tough time, you know, when the, when the world is in an yeah. unusual place and, um, you know, to be able to give back and get uh, so much positive feedback was, uh, was very rewarding for me. Brilliant. I think when you offer the value that you're doing, it's hard not to do that. But uh, maybe one day we'll show you some of the comments that me and Andy get and we get two grown <laughs> men wear the same clothes. <laughs> you can imagine what we get. <laughs> I'm sure. But, Always uh, going to be haters. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, where where can people obviously see obviously Instagram? Yes, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, Luke Donald. Um, yeah, I'm reasonably uh, active uh, on on Instagram. I'm on Twitter a little bit, maybe a little bit less because Twitter seems a a, a, a tougher tougher spot than Instagram. But uh, yeah. That's a tougher school. That's a tougher school. And what's next for you? What What are you obviously got taught you back into your PJ Tour season now? But yeah, you know, rest I'll of the year. Playing, the 3M uh, next in Minneapolis. Um, I'll probably have a couple of weeks off after that. I'm not in the PGA or the, the WGC at, at uh, Memphis. So a couple of weeks off to work on the game and then I'll play Wyndham and uh, hopefully play play well in one of those two events and, and get myself into the playoffs. Awesome. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it's going to go well. Hopefully they have a good week this week and then get back into it as well. Love it. Love it. Great. Luke, thank you so much for your time. All right, guys. And good luck for the rest of the season. Yeah, cheers, Luke. Good luck to you, too. Thanks. Cheers. So there we have it, guys. Hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as we did. Massive thank you to Luke for giving his time up. Really uh, great to get a world-class player to share his thoughts, his 
his feelings, some of the things that have really helped him become so good in his career as well. So make sure you do head over to his Instagram and Twitter and follow him. He does put some great stuff on there as well. And if you enjoyed this, tag us in on social. Screenshot this, tag us and Luke in and let us know your thoughts on the podcast. And if you think this will help somebody else, then make sure you share this with somebody else to help their game as well. Thanks again, guys, and we look forward to speaking to you next week.